Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out We're Here on HBO, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex 2045 on Netflix, Defending Jacob on Apple TV+, and Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. So stay tuned to the end to find out why BJ is too hot to handle. Spoiler, it's because I'm in a league of my own. You are brains, brawn, and all beauty, cutie. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Speaking of beauty, how about we head into the world of drag on We're Here on HBO. We're Here follows Bob the Drag Queen, Shangela Laquifa Wadley, and Eureka O'Hara as they mentor and recruit three locals from small towns to do one-night-only drag shows. In this first episode, Shangela takes Hunter under her wing, who is a makeup artist who is tired of living in his parents' basement. Bob the Drag Queen mentors Daryl, a Gettysburg College faculty member who is trying to make Gettysburg a more inclusive community as a straight ally who wants to try on a pair of heels. And Eureka mentors Erica, whose closed-mindedness drove away her daughter after her daughter came out to her as bisexual. And she wants to use her stage performance to apologize to Haley. So me too. What did you think of the pairings? Because I thought each of the drag queens really had great chemistry with the local residents of Gettysburg that they were working with. Okay, so I am in the process of watching Drag Race again from the beginning. And they didn't get into this too much, but Shangela and Hunter were so perfect together. One, because when Shangela was a little baby drag queen... We got to see that on seasons one and three of Drag Race. She faced people being really aggressive toward her and mean about her drag. And I get that it's a competitive show, but she got to show love and mentor Hunter in a much more caring way. And that was really nice to see. And then also Shangela was an assistant to Miss Jennifer Lewis, Hollywood icon, and lived in her basement. So we literally got to see Shangela grow from being in a basement to being a star to being the first person in drag to walk the Oscars red carpet. And now we're going to see Hunter also emerge like a phoenix from his parents' basement. And then with Bob the Drag Queen and Daryl, we didn't get to go into Daryl's story that much, but he was really funny. And so they had that great chemistry right off the bat because Bob the Drag Queen is of the funniest comedians out right now. Bob the Drag Queen is so, so funny. So that was great. And I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of that. And with Eureka O'Hara and Erica, it was powerful to hear Eureka share her own story about her mom not accepting her when she came out and getting a chance to get to know her a little bit toward the end of her mom's life. But unfortunately, her mom passed away before they could really connect. And so it felt like it was healing for both Eureka and Erica to do that performance together. Definitely. I think they found people that they could all relate to. And that made not only the show more interesting, but it also made it easier for each of the drag queens to help teach these local residents how drag can help you have more confidence, can also just be a fun experience and open your self to new and different cultures and opportunities. And I think that's something they hinted at with Daryl being a community leader in Gettysburg, and he wanted to embrace different cultures in order to help promote and bring more diversity to the town. And then Erica wants to learn more about the LGBT community in order to better embrace 
her daughter, but also kind of send that message to other mothers and parents so that they are better prepared to embrace the next wave of children who are uncomfortable or having negative reactions when they come out. And then Hunter, it's great that he has someone who's so supportive because Shangela's energy throughout this whole episode was like infectious. And it was good that he had like a mentor, but also kind of like a friend. They were able to bounce off each other. And you could really tell this brightened up Hunter's life at that time. And this is going to be something that's going to stick with him for a long time. Yes, it felt like Hunter's family thought it was enough to just love him, but they needed to love him out loud. And Hunter had trouble expressing that, but Shangela helped bring that out, which was so beautiful to watch happen, especially the relationship between Hunter and his father. How did you feel about the choice of town, setting this in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? So this particular town, they said, had a population of less than 8,000. And I think that it was good to show people around the country that even in small towns, there may be these stereotypes that they can be conservative and unaccepting of countercultures. But there are people who are open minded and willing to embrace your differences. And people can change even in the small towns. So I think it was a good message that they were able to bring about using Gettysburg as a location. It was really beautiful to see that stand in mom community of moms Mm -hmm. who showed up to pride events to give free mom hugs, I think was the slogan. And to see Erica embraced by that community to learn how to be a better, more loving parent. And then for Hunter, feeling so alone in that town because he can't afford to stay in Philadelphia with his closest queer friend. And so getting to bring the change that he wants to see in his own community because he can't afford to or isn't able right now to leave was really powerful. All hope is not lost when you're in a small town. And that was a great message to receive. Exactly. What did you think of the performance once everyone was dressed up and on stage? I loved them. I was nervous because Shangela is a dancer. And so I didn't know if Hunter was going to be able to keep up. Hunter was great. I was probably the most nervous for Daryl's knees in those heels, (laughs) but they really turned it out. Daryl and Bob were fantastic. Yeah, I think they they were able to make a really amazing performance. High energy, bright lights, very fun. And I could see that Erica put a lot of thought into her plea to Haley. Whether Haley should forgive Erica for what she did to her as a parent, you could see that Erica put a lot of heart and thought into each piece of her performance and showing that she can still stand in her religion and love her children and accept her children fully. Exactly. You saw her love for her daughter in the performance. So what would you rate We're Here on HBO? I would watch again seriously. This was great. It's a really feel-good show that isn't afraid to show the rough edges of existing in these small towns. And the show starts with a hot mic moment where someone is homophobic against the queens. And they're not afraid to go there, but it also just truly fills your heart up to watch. So I loved it. Awesome. And since you loved it, and you're going to watch it seriously, I can just wait for you to recommend the best episodes with the most interesting townspeople. Sure. If I walk you through this show, then I'd love you to walk me through the next one. Because we watched Ghost in the Shells, Standalone Complex 2045 on Netflix. Yes, a very straightforward anime production. Mm hmm. 
So this is based on a 1980s Japanese manga franchise by Masune Shiro, and this franchise is also known for having inspired the Matrix movies. It's very futuristic, including technology and how that can change the world around us. In this particular adaptation of the franchise, Standalone Complex 2045, we are in the year 2045, and there's been an economic disaster known as the Simultaneous Global Default, where all of the world's currencies, both paper and electronic, is now worthless. And this has led to the sustainable war, where people are trying to keep the economy going, but it's also leading to people participating in raids and committing crime. And that's where we meet our main characters, Matoko, Bato, and the other members of the Public Security Section 9. And they are working as mercenaries on this special team called Ghost because they're able to use really advanced cybernetic enhancements to go on missions and defuse a lot of this tension that's happening during the sustainable war. So, me too. What did you think of this whole concept of the world's economy crashing and now people are fighting? I thought it was actually a little tongue-in-cheek or funny that they opened the show with the four major nations' economies started to crash and America was known for its sustainable war strategy and the other nations resorted to America's very base strategy in order to (laughs) attempt to keep their economies going as well. I thought that was a a little funny jab. I thought the world building was really interesting. The notion of there is no currency anymore, but there are still things worth trading. There is still value. And wherever there is still value, there is still fighting. And you just see how that morphs without cash or currency bounties. Exactly. People will adapt in whatever situation there is. Mm -hmm. People will find a new way of exchanging value and goods. I think this world probably has a very thriving gig economy. I mean, we have mercenaries for hire. Who else knows what you could hire in this world? One thing that came up for me while watching this show, because I am not familiar with Ghost in the Shell, is what is the degree of personhood? The intro of the show, you see Motoko being assembled. Mm -hmm. And so you know that she is a robot. But you also see her enjoying a beer and having a taste in specific beers. And you see her and her friends clowning around. But they look very human. But then you have robots that look more like robots, hunks of metal, also being sassy and clowning around. So what is the degree of personhood throughout these beings? If they are beings. I think they all identify as humans, as Mm -hmm. people. But they are blurring the line of what it means to be a human. And I think this is something that comes up later in the series, post-humans. What is the next step of humanhood and human life? So everyone on the team has cybernetic enhancements. Matoko takes it to a whole new level and has an entire robot body. Mm. But we even see Bato who has cybernetic eye implants so he can like see through buildings he can see long distance has like x-ray and heat sensors and everyone has brain implants so this team goes on a couple missions in the first episode and they're able to talk to each other using their minds so kind of like voice chat but in their head and they're able to use brain drive where they Mm -hmm. connect all of their minds and they're kind of seeing each other in this virtual world. 
And that's due to technology. And I think you asked a really tough question, but also important. At what point do you go from being a human with enhancements to just being a robot with human qualities? And I feel like you didn't answer it. So I think we should also talk about (laughs) (laughs) the ghost team, this team of mercenaries. They are badass. They're on a mission. They're ready to beat up people. And they have spider robots assisting them. What do you think of the team? Can you explain why Stan is there? Because they literally call him a clown and Mm -hmm. say that he's just a regular standard AI person. I think he just has like basic upgrades versus everyone else. So how did he make it onto this seemingly elite team? There is an open spot. And Stan filled it? That's it? That's my understanding. He's the new recruit. Maybe he's not as good as everyone else, but he met the minimum threshold. How did you like the team? I liked everyone's interaction with each other. I think Matoko or Major, as they were calling her a lot, is a good leader. And so is Batu. Those two kind of were the ones taking charge of the team. And it was fun. Maybe not fun. There's a lot of violence. It was cool to see the action and how they were able to take advantage of all of their cybernetic enhancements for combat. And the robots, those were fun. A little creepy because they had like childlike voices and wanted to be petted like animals. Mm -hmm. But they were also very self-aware, but cool. So what would you rate Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045? I would rate, for me, would watch again casually. I think I might wait until the English audio is available. At this time, only Japanese audio with subtitles is available. And if you are familiar at all with the Ghost in the Shell franchise, definitely check out this new retelling of the story. What would you rate it? For my fellow people who are not familiar with Ghost in the Shell, not super versed in anime, I don't think this is the show that's going to get you sucked into it. BJ knows this. I actually watched it twice because I was so confused the first time and I wasn't sure if I had missed things, but it turns out I just was missing a lot of the context of the show itself. And a couple other animes on Netflix that I do really enjoy if you are looking to get into that world but aren't well-versed like how I am not well-versed, are Agretsuko, which is a fun karaoke-style anime, and Ultraman, which we reviewed on the podcast. Well, me too. How about we transition to a genre you are familiar with, and that is murder mysteries. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, I think you're referring to Defending Jacob on Apple TV+. And this show is based on the novel of the same name by William Landay, Defending Jacob follows the story of DA Andy Barber, played by Chris Evans, who is assigned to the case of Ben Litkin, a teen and classmate of his son Jacob's, who is stabbed to death in a forest. The premise of this series is Andy and his wife Lori, played by Michelle Dockery, navigating the accusation that comes up that Jacob, played by Jaden Martell, is actually the one who murdered Ben. So let's get into it. What's the mystery here, Beach? Yeah, so they build up to it. The title kind of tells you, though, that it's about defending Jacob, Andy's son. But we really don't know much yet. In this first episode, we're introduced to the murder. Ben's body was found stabbed in a part. There was someone who found the body, but she ran away in panic and ruined the crime scene. But I don't know if who could have done this. It's a very 
simple but kind of elegant murder. Mm-hmm. Why would someone murder a random 14-year-old boy? Why would someone stab a random 14-year-old boy? And there's the push-pull of Chris Evans's Andy Barber having the conflict of interest of this is a classmate of his sons. So mm-hmm. before accusations even come up, when he's interviewing the kids at the school to ask them about Ben and whatever they can tell him so he can figure out who might have done this or who might have wanted to hurt Ben, they all open with, oh, are you Jacob's dad? And <laughs> and so that's clue number one and only that you should probably not be on this case. Yeah. And it's weird that he notes it, but brushes it off. And he's working with Detective Paula Duffy, who's in the room with him for these interviews. And she doesn't make note that every kid recognizing him as Jacob's dad. Paula Duffy, for the record, want to shout her out really quickly. She's played by Betty Gabriel, who had that iconic scene in Get Out, where she says no, and then a single tear comes down. I would watch that scene a million times if I were you. It's so good. But yeah, there's a point where Paula Duffy, because they're not getting anything out of the students who are just interested in talking to Jacob's dad, leaves the room to take a call. Yeah, she's like, this is going nowhere. Every kid is uninterested. No one is like against Ben or for him. They're just like, yeah, I know him. It's fine. He was there. Now he's not. It was interesting to see that when they found Ben's body, they did a classic lockdown at the school. And the kids didn't know if there was a shooter or what could be happening. And it was a little jarring to see initial fear, but then the kids knowing exactly what to do because it is more common now to have those drills because I think this past March was the first March we've had without a school shooting in years. So they were scared, but they also did what they are used to doing for a drill, which was sad and jarring and maybe led to a little bit of the disinterest that they showed around Ben being found. Yeah, they've acclimated to a world of lockdowns and school shootings. And so hearing that your classmate who you might not be that close to has been murdered, you're a little indifferent. So how do you feel about the theory of whether Jacob did it or not? Okay, listeners. Jacob is mad suspicious in this first episode. I know that's how they're writing the show, but he is not helping himself. Mm -hmm. His parents ask him about Ben. All he can say is, Ben was fine. Some people thought Ben was cool. I don't know. He's dead. I'm okay. Red flag number one. But then he said Ben was a little full of himself. Yes. So then later on, Jacob is saying things Don't want to compare him to internet groups, but he apparently feels strongly about people lying, faking their emotions and reactions. And that's the kind of talk about fixing the world when you don't like what you see. Mm -hmm. A little bit scary. So what are some of your theories? So I think for such a simple case that there is going to be a lot of layers to it. It's not going to be as simple as potentially Jacob didn't like Ben Mm -hmm. and stabbed him. But I do think Jacob is directly involved in the death of Ben. And I think, as you were mentioning earlier, Andy being the DA on this case is going to make things very complicated and might even stretch out any kind of satisfying conclusion to the case. My theory is that home is going to implode because, one, Andy is good at lying. You can tell he is keeping some sort of secret from his wife 
because he doesn't talk about his family life, but he has this nightmare that implies that maybe he does know who his dad is because his wife's impression is that he doesn't. Two, there are no perfect homes. And they really lean into the trope of perfect wife, perfect mom, perfect dad, perfect husband, perfect kid, all happy together in that first scene of them all interacting. And so you just know that that's going to fall apart. Three, shout out to the actor who plays Jacob, because there is something simmering there. And I know that that is something I often say on this show, but truly that kid, maybe it's genetic and Andy is messed up and hiding it. And now Jacob is messed up and hiding it, but something's going on there. They're trying to hide behind a facade. Everyone. I think Lori might even be hiding something. The mask is going to slip on all of them. So me too. What did you think of Apple TV Plus's Defending Jacob, where everyone uses Apple products? (laughs) I did (laughs) notice that. I was like, okay, Tim, go ahead. (laughs) This was a fun take on crime dramas, but it was extremely formulaic. So if you like crime shows, but want a crime show that was clearly designed as a vehicle for a very good Chris Evans performance, then go for it. I think I'll probably watch it casually. I am good on crime shows for right now, but I am curious about where this is going. I feel a little more strongly about this particular show. I'm going to watch it again seriously. I think I want to see where this story goes, because as you've been suggesting with your theories, I think the Barber family has a lot more to reveal to us as viewers and to their own town. So I want to see what kind of surprises there will be as this case unravels. Hmm. Okay. Speaking of unraveling, there's an island full of people doing it, and it's on Netflix's Too Hot to Handle. Yeah, Netflix's latest reality television dating show. This time, we have 10 singles, and they are in a luxury resort in Mexico on this special island villa. They're going to spend four weeks there, and they think their whole purpose is to find love and have a chance to win $100,000. But, but me too, it's not that simple. (laughs) There's there's a twist. (laughs) In order to win the grand prize, They'll all have to give up sex of any kind. Also, guys, the host of this show is a virtual assistant named Lana, who is watching everyone all the time. And Lana said, there's no kissing. There's no heavy petting. There's no sex of any kind for four weeks if they want to win the prize. And every time they break the rule, each of these different sexual activities will deduct a different amount from the $100,000 grand prize. So me too. What do you think of this challenge to these very horny single contestants? And what do you think about the prize for abstaining for four weeks? I literally never thought I would hear you say the word horny. So that alone, I'm going to laugh about that later. Just going to park it in the memory. Okay. (laughs) For, For this show, speaking of horny, they found the most sexually excitable group of people on the planet. Because if you told any group of people, abstain from sexual contact, and we will give you $100, let alone $1,000. I think most would successfully adhere to that, especially if you're on a beautiful island where you could be doing anything else. And yet, these folks were horrified when they learned that they could not be in physical contact with each other. And it's such a funny show to watch in this moment, especially while we're 
all sort of accidentally participating on this show in that we can't, let alone sexual contact, we can't shake hands with people right now. So I guess they just found the 10 people on the planet who will find this challenge to be incredibly difficult. It was wonderful casting. And what do you think of the other aspect where they want to try and teach these single people how to have meaningful relationships? Do you think it'll be effective? Because when they heard that, they didn't seem very excited about it. I think that was a silly afterthought. I think they wanted to find a ridiculous group of people, get them all boozed up, which is the classic reality show production strategy, and then sick them on each other. And then letting that tension build up for 12 hours that they can't actually physically interact with each other. Yeah. And then one last thing we should note about the structure of the show, this awesome $100,000 prize is split between all the contestants. It's not that much money. It's such a letdown. When you think about how much they'll make individually, and then how much is taxed from that, Whoever makes it till the end, they'll probably have a few thousand dollars, which is a significant amount of money. But for most of these people, I bet it's one month or two months rent. Yeah. And that's assuming that no one breaks the rules and deducts from the total prize. And people will break the rules. With this group of people, they definitely will. So how about we get down into these contestants? There is one budding couple and one budding love triangle where we have a high chance of some rule breaking. I think the budding couple is also unintentionally in a love triangle. I want to talk about Sharon and Rhonda. One, they had chemistry off the bat, though I'm not sure if they actually had chemistry or if they just wanted to make out. Let me back up. (laughs) I think that these people thought that they were recruited to be on a very different show. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what they thought they needed to be doing, but Rhonda and Sharon started making out within moments of meeting each other. And initially, Rhonda was showing David interest, but David wanted to play the rest of the group. But then when he saw Sharon and Rhonda getting along so well, he clearly looked a little bit jealous and said something to the effect of she'll make the right decision soon about the right guy to be with. So maybe something is brewing there. And this is all within hours. So how did you feel about Chloe, Harry, and Francesca? Oh, Chloe. I really liked Chloe. She was very ditzy. I do wonder how much of that was for the show and how much of that might have been real because it was very believable. But she's a sweetheart. She's going to get her heart broken by Harry, who can only see Francesca. I agree. I already feel bad for her. Same. And I think Francesca, she's the type of girl who, and she admits this, she doesn't put effort in going after the guy she likes. She just stands there and smiles and they come up to her. So I think Harry is probably just going to be like a a multi-day fling and then she'll move on. What if what if Francesca and Chloe team up against Harry? Ooh, to do what? I don't know. They're both tired of him playing them around or something. It's possible. I think there'll be a lot of shakeups because Kells and Matthew had a nice long talk and they said 4 weeks. That's a long-term relationship and They're not ready to commit to something like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Matthew in that beanie and the sweatpants and the long shirt in that heat. Yes. Our Jesus guy. Yes. He was dressed for colder weather. The most jarring character for me was Haley, who did the sorority cheer in her intro. Florida sorority girl. I was excited that someone who doesn't identify as straight was on a dating show 
so that's dope. Yeah. But the the cheer threw me off. I'm not gonna lie. She's uh still in college, so you know, that's her life. That made me uncomfortable too. <laughs> <laughs> but then you forget that when we used to watch Real World and all of those shows, those people were so young. Mm-hmm. And we watched it when we were super young. So I remember thinking 20 was an adult. Yeah, they felt old because we were so young. Mm-hmm. And now that we're old. Exactly. Now she's a baby. So exactly. My range has shifted. She used to be an adult when I was young. Now I'm old. So she has shifted to infancy. And I am just wanting to protect her from being on a show like this. Just don't drink so much. If yeah. your sorority sister breaks her neck falling off of a house or a roof, that's a warning sign. So me too, what would you rate Too Hot to Handle on Netflix? I would rate Too Hot to Handle, would watch again casually. This is a fun show. I'm not going to binge it, but whenever I want to sit down and watch something ridiculous for 40 minutes, I know that I can turn to this show. And I would recommend our listeners do the same. I agree. It fits the genre of these reality dating shows. So if you know you like that, this will be a fun twist on the premise. I would also recommend maybe starting from episode two, just because the first episode, you spend a lot of time meeting each person, but you don't get to the relationships and hookups or not hookups. So episode two might be where things really start to get Juicy, as you might say. That's a good point. They spent a lot of time introducing people and just a little bit of time starting to show us the drama between them. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to find shows with drama or other themes, you can head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com and you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you want even more content, consider subscribing to The Pilot Podcast Deep Dive where we take a deep dive into the single pilot episode of a TV show just for you. All you have to do is go to join.thepilotpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, how you would do in the Too Hot to Handle house to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.